Lord Chairman and my dearly beloved brethren and sisters, rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. Without any shadow of a doubt, the most quoted words at Christadelphian baptisms are these. Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. And most appropriately, we quote the words of Luke 15 verse 10 at nearly every baptism because our hearts are joyful and we know that heaven rejoices with us. But I want you to think about that statement for a moment and what it means when we consider the work of the angels and their rejoicing. Because it tells us several fascinating things about the angels and their experience. Firstly, it tells us that the angels have extremely joyful lives and that their joy never becomes mundane or commonplace. If every time a sinner repents, the angels can so rejoice together that their experience, their joy, continues on. And the second thing we know from that very simple passage is that they love to assemble to share their rejoicing together. They all become excited and sympathetic to each other as one angel particularly might feel tremendous success at what they've achieved in that life of that sinner. The other angels are very happy to rejoice with them. And we need to ask ourselves, what makes it such a joyful occasion for the angels that a sinner should repent when surely that's happened so many times down through the centuries well firstly it's because they have been personally involved in the process of reforming sinners God sends them forth to minister or to serve the heirs of salvation and much of the process of that is involved in calling people to the truth to leave behind their old lives and to make a commitment for God or within the truth, those who have strayed from the way. Through the angels, God providentially can move in their lives to recover them. And to them it's a very personal involvement that they have in the process of sinners being recovered for God. And they share the feelings of the Father who will have all men to come to a knowledge of the truth and to be saved. So we can understand why it means something to them. But the other reason that the angels rejoice is because in the work that they are given to do, they don't have complete foreknowledge of how things will transpire. And so when they do have a conversion of a sinner, when they do have somebody who turns around and recovers themselves, then for the angels that's the cause of great celebration because they were aware of exactly when or how that would transpire. And God sends them out on the task of rescuing sinners. And he doesn't always tell them exactly what he knows about how it will be accomplished. And as we saw with the angels last night, there may be many occasions whereby they try different things in providence to try and correct that sinner. But they endure frustrations as they do, must do with all of us in our lives, as we frust must frustrate them incredibly. Their intention is to get us into the kingdom of God and we stumble and we... we, we we go all sorts of ways other than what they would have us to go. And sometimes it's a long time before they see any results. And their task requires intelligent initiative, patience and great devotion. No wonder when they succeed there is great happiness. Personal triumph. And a sense that they've achieved what the will of God is. And they love to share that with others. When you think about it, you know, there is joy, rejoicing amongst 
the angels of heaven over one sinner that repents. It's almost like the rest of the work of the angels comes to a halt. And they all assemble in one place and they sing to the glory of the Father because they're so much in harmony with the God who have no one to be lost, whose love is incredible towards those who would repent. And the angels share that happiness. You might have noticed also in Luke 15 that both the woman who finds the lost coin and the shepherd who finds the lost sheep, they call together their neighbours and friends to rejoice. And the rejoicing that we ought to feel when such things are accomplished is that which is shared in heaven amongst the angels. And I think in that we can see a little glimpse of the way that God is going to make our eternal experience interesting and constantly exciting. We're going to take on the task of converting a world, perhaps of three, four, five billion people that survive Armageddon. And the multitude of saints will be dispersed into the world, given the task of bringing people to understand and have faith in God. The kingdom is not just about bringing the nations under heel. It's not just about wiping out the wicked. The kingdom is about changing the hearts of mankind that they might develop faith in God and love for their God. And that's going to be a task that's going to take a lot of devotion, intelligent initiative. And when we have results, we're going to be tremendously happy in those things and to share them with each other through the kingdom. And we get a very clear eye, don't we, that the angels are not just robots or clones or unemotional creatures. They know how to sing and their joy never becomes stale. And God constantly is able to surprise them with the things that he unfolds from his manifold wisdom. Come back to Job chapter 38. Look at the first occasion in this creation where they're recorded as singing. And in Job 38, God begins his response to, to the criticisms of Job. And he starts off by challenging Job with his ignorance about the creation. Job, where were you when I created the foundations of the earth? And Job is brought to realise through this challenge that God's power is way past human experience. And so he says in Job chapter 38, Where were you, Job, in verse 4, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Verse 6, Whereupon are the foundations fastened? Who laid the cornerstone thereof? Where were you, Job, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Job, you weren't around to see the angels rejoicing at creation. And let's just think about why the angels rejoiced at the day of creation. You know, when God recounts to Job what he remembers about the creation, it was the rejoicing of the angels that was a key feature of that process. You see, he talks about laying the foundation to the earth, stretching out the, the seas, the cornerstone, but... The angels are rejoicing right in the middle of all those magnificent physical things that had to be done in the creation. And what a privilege it was for the saints of those days, for the angels of those days, to be the ones who would use the power of God in their hands to remake the earth and to create a new world in which God would be glorified. And God gave his power into their hands and they went out into a world covered by water to reshape it and to reform it, to transform it in seven days to the most incredible beauty. And imagine what it was like for each angel coming up to Michael and receiving their particular task. Well, you go out and you make this animal. You go out and make that bird or that insect or that plant. And they going out and with the power of God in their hands, performing the task to populate the earth with those creatures 
or plants. An amazing thing is they were given, perhaps by the power of the Spirit, the design of things that they had never comprehended before. Maybe on some occasions allowed to use their own initiative. Will you go and design a creature that looks like this or design a creature to perform this function in the creation? And I would suggest to you that very likely that many of the creatures and the plants that they made were totally different to what they may have experienced in their past existence. And then all the creatures came together and the whole creation in seven days was finished. And all of a sudden they could see the amazing intricacy of all the things that God had designed. They could see with their eyes things that we've only learned to see with microscopes about the incredible structure of things. And Genesis 1 says, Elohim saw that it was good. Day after day they saw that it was good. They saw the great wisdom of God in those things. They beheld the treasures of the snow that are talked of here in Job. The incredible diversity of life that the planet now contained. Animals with wonderful instincts, homing instincts, incredible senses of smell, abilities of sight that are almost beyond human comprehension. And then to see that the whole creation has a complementary perfection. That all the plants and the animals that each individually have made actually are the right size and shape. That they have the right senses that relate to each other. And you've probably seen how some insects and some fish and some plants and some birds are perfectly related in the way that they're constructed. We know that it makes a, a mockery of the theory of evolution that these things just happen. The incredible design of the universe is amazing. And they saw these things coming together. And they realised that God had created an amazing and beautiful world. Perhaps full of creatures they've never ever seen or contemplated before. I mean, who would ever think of designing an elephant or a giraffe or some of those creatures? Majestic colours that they saw in the creation. Amazing things that were designed by God. And they were overwhelmed and they rejoiced to sing of those, of the glory of the Father. So God challenges Job. Job, you weren't around to hear the angels sing like I did. They expressed their delight in unrestrained singing of God's praises. There's no wonder God says to us in Revelation chapter 2 and 28 To him that overcometh will I give power over the nations and I will give unto him the morning star. And what does the morning star mean? Well it means to be the first of many stars that will follow. But the morning star really is the honour to create a new world. To take over from where these angels finish off. And to go on and become those who recreate this world for God. To bring back all the extinct creatures that man has wiped out. And to re-perfect this world. And to see the majesty of God as we've never seen it in creation. And more than that, to make a spiritual regeneration upon the earth. That will take a thousand years. And then perhaps beyond a thousand years. To go on and start again somewhere else. And to have the privilege of, of singing together as the morning stars of a new creation for God some other place sometime I will give unto him the morning star and as God enthralled his angels with the creation so brethren and sisters he will astound and amaze us through the kingdom one of the things we do know about the kingdom is that singing is going to play an enormous part in the joy that is set before us it's told in Revelation 5 that the saints will sing a new song 
Thou hast redeemed us out of every kindred and people and nation and tongue and made us unto our God kings and priests. Their unique song that the saints will sing. They will sing the song of Moses, the song of victory, as they stand upon the glassy sea. And it says in Psalm 149, Yahweh taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. What a glorious phrase that is. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. And we, brethren and sisters, can both sing now at the prospect of singing gloriously forever. I want you to come to Ezekiel chapter 40 and look at a, a little tiny little clue we have to what the saints are all about in Ezekiel 40 and verse 44. And right in the midst of all the detail as Ezekiel is taken on this tour of the temple, as he walks through ahead of time what the, the mortals of the age to come will experience as they go around and walk around about Zion and tell her towers, mark where her bulwarks and consider her palaces. Ezekiel goes on that tour himself. But I want you to notice how Ezekiel describes the inner circular ring of the, of the temple of the age to come. Now, bear in mind that in, the, in the Ezekiel's temple we have the outer court, the square court, which is the habitation of the worshippers who go up apart from the east, which is for the prince. The circular portion of the temple, that circular building in the middle of Ezekiel's temple around the mountain is reserved for the saints and for the angels and for Christ. And they will walk round about Zion and the word in Psalm 48 means to go in a circle. As the pilgrims come up, they will go in a circle and they will walk around that. And what will they go away? What will be the impression that they gain from that? Well, it says... In Ezekiel 40 and verse 44, the impression upon a mortal will be this. Verse 44, Ezekiel 40. And without the inner gate were the chambers of the singers in the inner court. Now what an incredible way for Ezekiel to describe the inner court of the temple. That circular building in the middle. He calls it the chambers of the singers. Because that's the lasting impression he went away with. And the mortals of the age to come will go away with a lasting memory, not just of the glory of the buildings, not just of all the types and the shadows in the statues and in the, in the construction of that building. They will go away and tell the generation following that they heard the most glorious singing from the saints. And it says in Isaiah 60 and verse 8 that the saints will go as doves to their window in that temple and they will fly ahead of the mortals going up to worship. They will assemble there with Christ. And they will give expression to the joyfulness that they have. They will report back to Christ about the work they have done amongst the nations. And they will sing. And the, the mortals will hear that singing. And it will be to them the hope of what lies ahead of them if they are faithful to God through the kingdom age. The chamber of the singers will be the inspiration for the nation to go up to Zion. And they will go back and they might even say, we saw Christ in the distance, but we heard the singing. It was incredible singing we heard from the voice of the saints. And so, brethren and sisters, we have ahead of us the prospect of singing as the angels have done and do today. This morning we want to trace very briefly the work of the angels concerning the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because within that work of Christ that much of their happiness has been revealed to us. Now, we don't know by what method the angels were redeemed from their time of probation. But what we do know is it seems that this creation was the only one to receive God's first and only Son 
the son who by direct inheritance would one day sit at the right hand of the father. It's no, no, no surprising, therefore, to us that angelic interest ran so high concerning the work of Jesus, the Son of God. Their whole life in this 6,000 years was centred around the one who was the pinnacle of God's creation. And because they are so bound up with the interests of the Father, so committed to doing His will and His service, so much in harmony with God's way of thinking, the work of the Son was the pivotal point of their interest. And you imagine what it meant in heaven as they became to realise through all the prophecies and the promises that were given over the years that God intended to have his own son, a real son of God, and that he would be born into the fallen race of Adam. Their interest in that particular subject we find in the first of Peter. Let's just come there and see what it says about the angelic interest in that. You imagine the angels from the Garden of Eden onwards laying out all the types and the shadows, reading about the lamb who would come, the seed of the woman, in the law, all the sacrifices pointing forward to Christ. The way they shaped the patriarchal lives to be types of Christ, the lives of Isaac and Joseph. The way they caused the prophets to write the messianic psalms and the great prophecies about Christ. The clear predictions of Isaiah 53 and Psalm 69 and Psalm 22, the 70 weeks prophecy given by Gabriel, the angels were everywhere active in making sure that the basis of the coming of the Son of God was clearly explained. But you see, this was a new method of salvation that they had not themselves experienced. And so we find in verse 10 of the first of Peter, chapter 1, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that had come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ that was in them did signify when it testified of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So here was a method of salvation, and even the prophets struggled to understand how God would, would make an atonement, a reconciliation with the world through his Son. And to whom it was revealed that not unto themselves they did minister these things, which are now reported unto you by them that have preach the gospel with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven which things the things about Christ and the method of his salvation which things the angels desire to look into so that's telling us that the angels had a tremendous interest in these things the word desire to look into there means to stare inquiringly it's the word used of the disciples when they stared into the empty tomb of Christ there was a tremendous interest they looked over the shoulder of the prophets as the prophets writing down the prophecy the angels are looking over his shoulder and they're wondering what that means. And you can imagine in heaven as the angels discuss these things amongst themselves, the questions they would fire at Gabriel and Michael, the curiosity with, with, with which they would go on the errands that they were sent by Michael and Gabriel to, to paint the background for the coming of Christ. And the interest and the build-up of excitement in heaven over those long years of silence from the time of Ezra and Nehemiah it was 250 years before Christ came into the world. Almost no open angelic visitation in that time, apart from a little help given to the Maccabees. But when the time came, in the fullness of time, God was to send forth his Son. Angels were active everywhere, openly now, after 200 years of silence. And they were working on the greatest event, the birth of God's Son. God had said in Psalm 91, he would give his angels charge concerning the Messiah. And you think of some of the unusual things they had to do. 
years ahead of the appointed time a special star had to be moved into place we know something of astronomy think of the logistics of making a star to guide those who came from the east think of the odd things like the angels that were sent out on the night that the child was to be born with the instruction to make sure that every bed in that inn is full you imagine the angel going out and pondering why have I got this job to do and stuffing people into the inn to make sure there was no beds anywhere for Joseph and Mary and the angels debating amongst themselves what was this meaning of the angels that were sent out some years ahead of the time to make sure that the treasuries of Rome were so depleted that a census and taxing was needed and to make sure that when the proclamation came down about people going back to their home city that it coincided exactly with the date that they'd been given and when they perceived that it was the time that the child was due they began to see why they'd been working on so many errands to bring into place the scenario for the birth of God's son it's amazing isn't it to think that the whole Roman world was turned upside down to get one insignificant Jewish woman in the right place at exactly the right moment and to find there were no beds available other than to be born in a stable the whole world was on the move because of that one woman to be in the one place at the right time you can imagine their burning curiosity as they desired to look into why these things were so and they waited for the culmination of 4,000 years work and the anticipation in heaven must have been incredibly intense as God was now to have a son even humans when a royal child is to be born they wait for hours outside the hospital but here was the eternal king there was their Lord forever how interested they would be and around that stable of Bethlehem there must have been incredible angelic interest to the world it was nothing that a child should be born in a stable but heaven was alive with excitement and a sense of destiny and as the cry of the child pierced the night you can imagine the angels crowding in to see his face and Luke chapter 2 tells us what happened just come to Luke chapter 2 and let's look at this glorious record sometimes we have these records of the birth of Christ and because what others have made of them we tend to gloss over them and not really try and get the full import of them but the birth of Christ is an incredible event for all of us and for the angels 460 years have gone by from the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9 and Gabriel is prophesying again communicating still this time the first time in public for nearly 400 years that Gabriel has spoken and he comes to the shepherds verse 8 there was in the same country shepherds abiding in the field keeping watch over their flock by night now why these shepherds brethren and sisters have you ever thought why these shepherds when you go to the Mishnah which is the book of Jewish traditions they tell us that there were just outside of Bethlehem a particular group of shepherds that the Jews had authorised to mind the animals that were due to be put into the temple for sacrifice and the name of the place of those shepherds was the Tower of Edah the Tower of the Flock it was the place where Jacob came to the Tower of Edah and where Rachel died 
It's mentioned in Micah chapter 4. Unto thee shall come the first dominion. Unto thee, O tower of the flock, shall it come. And here was the first revelation of the coming of the Son of God, the breaking of 400 years' silence. And it came to the tower of Edar, to the shepherds that had the responsibility for the animals that would go to be sacrificed in the temple. And these shepherds, brethren and sisters, were so important that they were exempted from the keeping of the Sabbath. Now you know how particular the Jews were about the Sabbath, but these shepherds were never allowed to take their eyes off their flocks because those animals had to be lambs perfect for the sacrifice. If anyone understood the meaning of the Lamb of God, it would be these shepherds. And shepherds near Bethlehem were the ones that the angels chose to approach. Maybe the angels had heard their discussions around their fire at night. How they reflected upon the meaning of the, the things that were happening around them. Perhaps they were also amongst them, those who looked for consolation in Israel, who were waiting for the Messiah. And to those shepherds, the angels came. And we can only imagine, can't we, as, they, as the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about. And the hills of Bethlehem were bathed in incredible light as God just for a moment draws back the curtain upon the invisible and Gabriel appears to them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel was the angels so often do says, Fear not. The angels are particularly sensitive to the way that men react. So often they say, Fear not. And then Gabriel proceeds to unfold the plan of salvation in Christ Jesus. We probably only have a pricey of what was fully said. And the angel explains, I bring you joy, to good tidings of great joy that shall be to all people. And he talks about the, the Saviour born in the city of David, how they would find him lying in a manger. And very likely many other things were added in this wonderful revelation from Gabriel to the shepherds and then their eyes were really opened the most incredible thing was the heavenly choir that was then revealed just try and comprehend brethren and sisters in your imagination what it would be like to suddenly have not just an archangel talking to you but to suddenly find that all around you there was the heavenly host a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying and they were privileged to see a highly excited assembly of the angels who perhaps from the words of Gabriel now fully realised what God was going to accomplish in this son and how God would do it the angels were full of excitement and joy thousands of immortal voices burst out no need of practice perfect harmony guided by the Spirit giving vent in impeccable tones and wonderful expression singing with understanding and joy you know sometimes when we turn on Handel's Messiah we get so moved by the things that we hear this would, would pale into insignificance compared to this particular choir brethren and sisters but what's important was the excitement that they felt Brother Roberts puts it this way how much in harmony with human ways it was for the angels to communicate thus with the shepherds. How natural it is to communicate good news when you have it. I always remember once getting a phone call at two o'clock in the morning and 
that terrible feeling of dread as you go to the phone and you think, well, who would ring me at this time of night? Picking up the phone and the voice says, it's a girl. Somebody had a daughter after three boys. But you see, someone wanted to share their excitement. They didn't care what time of the night it was. But the Roberts goes on. The angels were full of interest. There's no evidence that they were commanded to tell the shepherds of the fact. They appeared to have volunteered the information in the fullness of their joy. And God allowed them to share their joy with the shepherds. But Roberts also says this, the birth of Mary's child was not an insignificant occurrence to the angels. If their spiritual interest and susceptibility are so keen as to be made glad by the reformation of one sinner, we may understand the interest they would take in the birth of one who came into the world to save a multitude of sinners. You see, this was an incredibly significant event and God allowed them to sing. And singing is a wonderful gift, brethren and sisters, even now. God has linked our hearts and our voices together that when we give expression to our feelings, we are lifted in spirits. But you imagine listening to this choir with their glorious voices. And how we long for the day when we also, with immortal voices, can give clear expression to the things that are in our heart. And we need always to remember that even for those of us who can sing, even though poorly, what a privilege it is. Around this world there are brethren and sisters who don't have the gift of hearing and in many cases not the gift of speaking either. And you can teach a deaf person to sign language. You can teach some of them even to talk. But you can never teach a deaf person to sing. And I know many brethren and sisters who want nothing more in the kingdom of God than to have the privilege of being able to sing for the first time in their lives to the glory of God. And there are going to be some people who are going to sing, brethren and sisters, in ways that we would find hard to comprehend. And so the angels rejoiced over the birth of Christ. Let's just follow their charge. In verse 15 we read that the angels left the shepherds. They were gone away into heaven. So the shepherds actually saw this incredible choir, as it were, singing their way into the distance as they went off into heaven. It would have left an amazing impression upon the shepherds. And their charge now was to watch over the Son of God. He gave his angels charge concerning him. And we can imagine as they hovered over the fields of Nazareth and watched that boy grow in favour with God and men. We can imagine their anxiety as he was after his baptism, led into the spirit, led off the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. We can imagine their anxiety as the temptation included. The quotation from Psalm 91 about their charge concerning him. And we notice at the end of the temptation, the promise did not fail. That when the Son of God had overcome the temptation, we read in Matthew 4 verse 11, the angels of God came and ministered unto him. And they took that drained, emaciated, starved body of the Lord Jesus Christ and they ministered unto him. Do you ever think what that means? You try and take a body that's been 40 days without food. What sort of condition do you think he was in? It would have been a careful nursing process and they are not ashamed to, to, to minister to the needs of others. Never too proud to nurse him back to health so that he came in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And then the angels had to stand back for three and a half years. There could be no open angelic involvement during his ministry. He had to be tempted in all points as we are, 
and apart from the voice that spoke in John chapter 12 the angels were not active in the three and a half year ministry not openly active to the Lord Jesus Christ it was only when the victory had been won in sweat and blood and tears in the garden of Gethsemane when his own will had been subdued to the will of the Father when the flesh had been overcome only then could the angel come look at the words of Luke 22 You know, we need to read our Bible so carefully, brethren and sisters. Luke 22. Here's the son in an agony of prayer with his face toward the ground. And it says in verse 43, And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven. Where else do angels come from? But you see, God's telling us this was a direct messenger from the throne. This, was, this angel had been dispatched from the throne of God. When the son won that struggle over himself, the father's angel was sent immediately to him. An ambassador from the throne. Very likely Gabriel. This is so similar to Daniel chapter 10. Here is a man greatly beloved with his face toward the ground, praying deeply to understand the word of God. And he's touched by the angel. He's given strength and he's shown the scriptures of truth because it says the angel strengthened him. And how would you strengthen the Son of God? Well, I'm going to show you in a minute how he was strengthened. By quoting him the scriptures of truth. And that's what Gabriel said. I will show you the scriptures of truth. And he was reinforced by Gabriel to face what lay ahead. And he was told of his father's love. He was told of the joy that awaited him in heaven. And no wonder the Son of God went out serenely to meet his murderers. He knew he could have 72,000 angels to fight for him. But he also knew it was God's will that he submit to the cross. And we can imagine the feelings of the angels as the lovely Son of God was crucified by wicked hands. Imagine their incredible sadness as watching him lie there as they belted the nails into his hands and his feet. As he hung there upon the cross. They were only allowed to express their displeasure in darkness and the rending of the veil and the earthquake. And they had to wait for three days. And again it says in Matthew 28, an angel came from heaven directly from God and rolled back the stone. And no doubt with Gabriel, twelve legions now were there to support the Son of God in the day of resurrection. We find angels all over the place doing different things with the disciples. And imagine the moment when the angel woke him up from the sleep of death. The touch that brought him to life. And the Lord Jesus awakening to a familiar face. The angel from the garden. And the words, O man greatly beloved. Thy words were heard and I am come for thy words. Be strong, yea be strong. And then to be made immortal by the angels. And the two angels that spoke to the women. The two that sat in the tomb. And later on the angels on the Mount of Olives. And we read there that Jesus was taken up into heaven. And that tells us that he was escorted by the mighty angels and the angelic host to go and meet his father in triumph. To be elevated to God's right hand. He was taken up from them. And then it was followed by the greatest moment of angelic happiness 
that we can only imagine in our feeble hearts. You think, brethren and sisters, of the moment that Jesus ascended to his Father, to his God, to the one that he knew and loved all through his life, but now for the first time was to meet face to face in physical person. And it's Peter who says to us that Jesus Christ was raised and has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers are made subject unto him. And we think of the day when God exalted, highly exalted him, gave him a name above every name. And we think of that meeting of Christ and the Father. And it must have been the most poignant moment in all of the history of this planet. Perhaps even beyond our imagination to see the love and the joy and the intensity as the eyes of the Father and the Son locked together. This is my beloved Son. And the joy that was in heaven as the, as the Son sat down at the right hand of the Father. And if the angels can sing over the reformation of one sin, sinner, brethren and sisters, you imagine what it did to the hearts of the angels to see the Father and the Son together with their susceptibility to divine things. Imagine how they felt and how happy they were. And it says in Hebrews 1 verse 6, when he bringeth again his firstborn into the world, he saith, let all the angels of God worship him. And so they would have sang in heaven that day, not one shred of jealousy that he was now to be their Lord, that he would be their leader and their commander. They knew he was the worthy son of God. But just try and think of that seed in heaven, brethren and sisters, of the happiness of the angels. And it was that scene that had got him through the cross. You know, it says in Hebrews 12 and verse 2 that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. I want you to come to Psalm 16. Let's look at the scripture I believe that Gabriel would have quoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. What gave him the power to endure the cross? To think against the shame? It was, brethren and sisters, this concept of the moment when he would meet his father. Psalm 16. I believe Gabriel would have taken Jesus through Psalm 16 and Psalm 22. But at Psalm 16, it was the real positive power in enduring the cross. And we read these very familiar words. Verse 8. I have set Yahweh always before me because he is at my right hand I shall not be moved. Have you ever noticed where the angels sat in the tomb? When the disciples came and looked into the tomb, on one occasion they saw an angel sitting at the right hand of the grave clothes. It's very specific about that. He is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. And this context is all about his flesh resting in hope. And it's very likely that when Jesus was in that tomb, the angel sat there with him for three days. He's at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in the grave, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And here it comes. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And I wonder if we can really understand what the fullness of joy is. You know, we have moments of joy in our lives. Baptisms and weddings and, and births and happy events that come to our life. 
all mingled up with a lot of sadness and sorrow and disappointment. And our joys are usually short-lived, but for a moment. And the burdens of life come back. Would you imagine the fullness of joy that they experienced in this moment as the father and son locked eyes and the son came and sat at the right hand of the father and the angels sang their hearts out with joy. And it was that that had got Jesus through the cross, brethren and sisters. For the joy that was set before him at thy right hand is the fullness of joy. And at thy right hand there are pleasures, excitement, happiness forevermore. And no doubt the angelic joy continues today. There's going to come a time when the angels will also sing again. Let's go to Revelation chapter 5 because here we get involved in the choir. In Revelation chapter 5 we have the description in symbolic language of the inauguration of the kingdom. And the occasion with the saints shall be brought forth and presented to the world. Revelation 5 verse 9, they sing a new song. And that song from verse 9 and verse 10 is unique to the saints. It is not sung by the angels. They were not redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The saints sing the primary part of the, of the, of the song. And then we come to verse 11. And the angels standing back, having the tremendous satisfaction of hearing us sing the song of the redeemed for the first time. They then join in with the glorious chorus in verse 11. I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, saying in verse 12 with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that is slain to receive power and honour and glory and blessing. And once again there will be fullness of joy as the Son of God is invested as the Lord of all the earth. And no doubt through the kingdom there will be singing at many, many occasions of a similar nature. But perhaps this will be one of those outstanding ones like the birth of Christ, like the creation, like the time that he went to heaven. This one will stand out as one of the incredible occasions of joy for the saints and the angels first sing together on this day. And then at the end of the kingdom, imagine what it will be like when all of the redeemed from this creation shall be part of God. All of them made immortal. Imagine what it will be like, brethren and sisters, with countless millions now brought into the family of God. And no doubt another occasion of tremendous singing and happiness as God is all and in all. And I hope we can get some impression, brethren and sisters, from the joy of the angels, of what God has in store for us when he says you can be equal unto the angels and have places of access amongst those who stand by that God has in store for us incredible things, brethren and sisters, that we can share in that enormous day of, of fullness, of, of happiness and excitement. And it was Paul who said to us in Hebrews chapter 12, outlining the great privilege of the truth, he says, You have approached unto Zion's mountain, unto the city of a living God, a heavenly Jerusalem, unto myriads of, of angels in high festival, unto an assembly of firstborn ones, enrolled in the heavens under God the judge of all and under the spirits of righteous men made perfect and we brethren and sisters are related to indeed great and wonderful things in the, in the mercy and, and love of God and the time is coming when beyond the veil of tears beyond the struggles and disappointments of this life we brethren and sisters shall also sing with the angels and to know and to know perhaps for the first time the fullness of joy forevermore.